This morning, Matt will be preaching from Mark 8, 22 to 26, and invite you to be attentive as we read from that passage. <clears throat> and they came to Bethsaida, and see some people brought to him a blind man, and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. This is the word of Christ. Praise be to the Lord. That's not working. It's fine. So when Jesus enters the scene in Mark, he says, Repent, for the kingdom is here. And I don't know what you picture when you hear kingdom. Uh, Maybe outdated system of government, maybe castle. Uh, And this is why Matthew, Mark, and Luke are essential to the New Testament. But the rest of the New Testament is is crucial to help us understand a lot of Jesus' teachings and miracles. Paul describes the kingdom as righteousness, joy, and peace. What Jesus purchased for us, that he described as available in Mark chapter 1, verse 15 is guide to right living, joy, and peace. One of the challenges is we can't see joy. We can't see peace. We can't see right living even, though sometimes we see the effect of those things on people, especially over time. There is a kingdom, and it exists, though we can't see it, and it is Jesus' offer. And what happens throughout the book of Mark is Jesus interacts with people, and everywhere he goes, through his word, through his spittle through his hands everywhere that the world is not as it's supposed to be is rolled back by him because that's what the kingdom does it rolls back all that's not supposed to be in the world sometimes it's self-inflicted in john chapter 5 jesus heals a man and then he says and stop sinning that nothing worse might happen to you and we're like whoa jesus did you not your talking points are all wrong here Well, the reason he says that in John 5 is probably because the man harmed himself. And Jesus, in his compassion, still heals him. He doesn't not heal because the man hurt himself. Sometimes when Jesus heals something, they'll be described as since birth. It's an effect of the curse. I actually don't know whether I have always needed glasses. Some of you didn't know that I wore contacts. I took one contact out this morning and threw it away, thinking I had another because it was itching, right? Thinking I had another contact in the closet, I didn't. It's very frustrating. But I was thinking about it. I got glasses when I was in fourth grade. My record for one year was seven pairs lost in a year. That's what my parents said on their good days. Um, I don't actually know whether I always needed glasses or not. It was when I needed to be reading the board and interacting with it that we learned that I needed glasses. Sometimes Jesus heals those who uh, had experienced the curse since birth. And sometimes he heals those that disease had entered their life at some point in the middle. That's the case with this man, right? How does he know what men look like? How does he know what trees look like? It's not just an interesting side note. This is a piece of the curse that happened to this man sometime in his life. He used to be able to see, 
Then he was blind. And through Jesus' touch, what's not the way it's supposed to be in his body and life is healed. Two weeks ago, I preached on Mark chapter 7, and it's an incredibly, incredibly similar version when Jesus heals a man who's deaf and had trouble speaking. The cadence of the verses are the same. The number of words in the Greek is almost identical. John Peck actually pointed this out to me two weeks ago, and I was like, oh, he's right. The two sections are so similar. Why? It's not because Jesus had a ritual for healing people. It's because he healed to help us understand his message, to help us hear, and to help us see. Throughout um, the book of Mark, people are amazed. Throughout the book of Mark, they're intrigued, and yet they were not ready for the size of Jesus' teaching. They weren't ready for the combination of the description of the Christ. How do I know that? Right after this, Peter declares that Jesus is the Christ, and it's great. And then he expects Jesus as the Christ to rise up as a civic leader, and I think Jesus says perhaps the most uh, directly negative thing he ever says, and it's to Peter, remember? Get thee behind me, Satan. Again, you're like, whoa, hey, hey, I thought you were all mercy and love. Well, what's happening is Peter's misunderstanding Jesus. He thinks he's to be a civic leader. He thinks maybe he's a wandering prophet. And we kind of think that'd be nice to have a wandering prophet. People never like prophets. They speak truth to power. They point out injustice. They point out how uninterested we are in caring for the poor. Most of the things that the prophets of the Old Testament said would still be true for us today in terms of idolatry, how we view sexuality, how we do not care for the poor. The people were not yet ready for the teachings about who the Christ is. And so Jesus heals to gently lead them to understand how profound our need is for his healing touch. And I know what you're thinking when you read this. Enough with his spitting. You were here two weeks ago, and that's how he healed the man's speech and ears. This is how he heals the man's eyes. And yet, is there any question how this man was healed? No. It was through Jesus' touch. Jesus didn't need to take multiple moves. Sometimes Jesus heals someone without even being in the same city. So why would he heal the man this way? It's not because the disease was so tricky. Jesus didn't understand it. It was so that we would know how profoundly blind we are without his touch. Just before this, Jesus had fed 4,000 people. Right after he feeds 4,000 people, the Pharisees demand a sign. And this is where I, I just wish there were a little more commentary. I wish we could have seen Jesus' face or the disciples' faith. Like, were you there? When the thousands of people ate? Was that not a sign? Jesus' miracles are always to supplement and, and accentuate his teaching. And for a Jewish person... You know, Mark, Mark probably heard this story of the feeding of the 4,000 hundreds of time at, times at the feet of Peter as Peter preached in Rome for a number of decades after Jesus' resurrection. This book was written around in the 60s AD as the generations that had witnessed these things started to die, and they realized, oh, we've got to get this stuff on paper. And also preaching to uh, Jewish men and women that needed the encouragement 
of the stories of Christ as uh, a suffering servant, which we get into in Mark chapter 9. So Mark heard this story probably hundreds of times from Peter, and he understood something that I'm not sure we catch immediately, and I'm talking about the, the feeding of the 4,000. This is Jesus showing himself as a new and more perfect Moses, leading Israel and all people who call God Lord away from a worse slavery. So feeding in the wilderness, sighing deeply, which happens. All these things would have, would have reflected for the Israelites that Jesus is saying, I am a new and better Moses, leading you out of a worse slavery than physical and uh, economic slavery, though that's horrific, but sin and death are worse. So Jesus heals and is teaching and his healing is going to support that. This is God rescuing his people from all that causes blindness, from the slavery, from living in the world, and from living under the curse that blinds us. Peter wanted a civic leader. He wanted them to throw out Rome because he thought that's what they needed. Sometimes when Jesus was speaking and you look at the Sermon on the Mount, they think maybe he's a wandering prophet. That's going to make us uncomfortable, but we can accept that. They still weren't ready for the size of the need that he was going to explain to them. It's a little bit like us, isn't it? We sort of think, if I've got my 401k set, if my diet and uh, exercise are like, I know how to do those things, then maybe a little bit of religion too. And then I'll have like a whole life. Then I'll have my best life now, right? Isn't that kind of how we think? And the Israelites are similar. They think they understand God from their Bible. They think they understand life. And so they want a little bit more information from Jesus because he was such a compelling teacher. And yet what he does, and this is especially highlighted in the first eight chapters of Mark and what we're looking at and ending today on Ash Wednesday, we're going to pivot to attributes of a follower. He's showing them that we do not see without his healing touch. We will not perceive God rightly. We will not perceive our neighbors rightly. We will not be able to understand ourselves without his healing touch. Jesus said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We can actually receive joy and peace and right living through faith in Jesus. But that is not an add-on to our life. That is not glasses for someone that can kind of see but needs a little bit of help. Without his touch, we are entirely blind. And how could they have been ready, right? I mean, what's the offer? For today, the offer of the gospel is joy and peace and guidance in life, which is very sweet. What's the offer when we die? Heaven, which is a stopover, but a light-filled, beautiful, released from pain, with God stopover. Of course the disciples weren't ready to hear that. And then what's after heaven? A renewed heaven and a renewed earth that are actually one. Where we have work, but it's not annoying. Can you even imagine it? Where we have relationships with people, but they're not full of resentment and fear and shame. Where God is there all the time. That's the offer of the gospel. Of course Jesus had to walk his people there slowly and carefully. And we need the whole rest of the New Testament to understand this part of the New Testament. And we need this part of the New Testament to understand how profound the offer of a kingdom is. 
Jesus healed as he taught that we do not see. You know, there's this analogy um, that religion is like an elephant in the room and there are six or seven people around the elephant and everyone is touching the elephant and the elephant's getting uncomfortable, but then they're describing, that's not in the metaphor, but thank you, Sherry. <laughs> and they're all describing the elephant and they all get a little bit of it right. And there are, two, there are at least two very significant problems with that analogy. First of all, who knows that we're all in the room with the elephant, elephant right? Because that means someone has a perspective about all of religions. The second problem with it Christianly is Jesus claims to be God and proved that by rising from the dead, proved that by his words being true and by the hundreds and then thousands and then millions of people willing to stake their life on it. So we know what the proverbial elephant look like, looks like, and it isn't an elephant. It's Jesus, and that's so much more challenging. Do you know that you do not see God without Jesus' healing touch? Without his pursuing, covenanting love, we will not see him. All right, so totally me. Where does need factor into your gospel shorthand? I hope you have gospel shorthand. You know, the way you remind yourself of the gospel every day because you need to remind yourself of the gospel every day because you're like me and you forget it and you need to remind yourself of the gospel every day. What, where, where does need factor in? Flannery O'Connor wrote that all we need is need. Tim Keller, a, a pastor I used to listen to in New York City all the time, would say that Jesus lived the life we couldn't died the death that sin requires in contrast to God's holiness. We receive that by faith. The first great preacher I sat under is named Scott Sauls. I got the privilege of working for him for four years, and this was his gospel shorthand. I loved it because it was so accessible. You're a mess and you're loved. Right? Easy to remember. For me, it begins with love. And then it's, and I'm unable to save myself. And thanks be to God that in his mercy, he saves me. I don't know how you preach the gospel to yourself. I hope that you do. But here is Jesus, through a healing, teaching us of our need, that we're actually enslaved without his healing touch. And you know, wherever you factor in need, one that knows that they're a slave doesn't care as much about the process of freedom as they do the fact that they're free. One who is blind didn't mind being spit on because it healed them. And it's interesting to me to go back through Mark 1 through 8 and notice that people didn't hear him and they couldn't understand fully what he was saying except if you go through the book of Mark, a number of things understand who Jesus is. Evil spirits fully understood who he was. Disease understood who he was and retreated. Nature listened to him because it recognized his voice at crea from creation, to quote Sally Lloyd-Jones. And men and women, typically not from Israel, understood. And the reason, I think, is not because they weren't uh, Jewish, but because they knew their need. They would approach Jesus for a reason and they were willing to receive and able to receive his mercy. And they understood who he was sooner than the disciples, not because the disciples were hard-headed. That may or may not have been true, but the Bible doesn't actually present them that way. 
but because they didn't realize how immense the offer of a kingdom life in Christ is. Jesus healed as he taught that we do not see except through his touch. You know, there are these theological words that are actually biblical words that make a lot of people uncomfortable. Election, predestination. Sometimes people can get uncomfortable as though one word in the Bible means that we don't have free will. And what happens when we get tangled up instead of leaning into the tension that of course God knows everything, he's God. Of course God saves who he saves because he's God. Of course and yet, that doesn't mean we don't have free will. When we get tangled up in that, and we can't get past words like election and predestination, despite the fact that John 6 and Ephesians and Romans speak about them, we miss the beauty that is God's pursuing love, both individually to this man, and then as a metaphor throughout the rest of the New Testament. The rest of the New Testament picked up on the point of the feeding of the 4,000, and then Jesus healing the blind man as the dominant motif of the whole of Jesus' mission, which is to rescue us from a worse slavery to sin and to death, call us into a kingdom, righteousness, joy, and peace. When we get too uncomfortable about some of those theological concepts, we miss the pursuing love. And do you see the application of this text? I hope that you do. Do you realize how profoundly helpful this is in our lives? First and foremost, that if you're sitting in here, you have some sense of the pursuing love of God, which means that he saved you and called you his own and begun to give you a sense of what he purchased for you, joy and peace and a guide to right living. Then we're actually able to see our neighbors. First we see God because of his intervention. Then we see them. And isn't that what we long for when we're not overly tired? Yesterday I was overly tired. Well, that's another story, but let's just say there will be some repenting going on in my household from me to my children tomorrow. Today, not tomorrow. Why would I wait? I also owe them allowance, so it'll be a great day for them. Do you see the application and how important it is? We don't see one another. And the reason is because of the curse. The reason is because of temptation and sin. And Jesus heals us and helps us to see one another. Any Parenthood fans Remember that show? It's been off for a little while. And there's one. There's one fan of Parenthood in the whole room. Thank you. I had to do that in the first service too. They, do you remember they're all sitting around and they're having dinner and the older Bonnie Bedelia and Craig T. Nelson ooh, pulled that out of nowhere. No, I knew her. Didn't know I knew her name. They had been going back to counseling. Later in life, they have adult children. They still long to be better at loving one another. Just gonna leave that for you. Um, and they're they're arguing about something. I think, and I think she annoys him. And you remember this moment? Craig T. Nelson can be such a buffoon, but he has such gravitas occasionally, right? And you're like, I have lunch plans. I don't need to hear you talk about Craig T. Nelson. But listen, if you've seen this movie or this TV show, they're sitting around a table and they're eating and she says something and it challenges him, but he heard the counselor and he goes, I see you and I hear you. And it was like, whoa. First and foremost, the gospel calls our heart back to God and heals it, giving us righteousness, joy, and peace. And then it frees us to see 
First God, but then the neighbors in our life. And isn't that what we need? To not see their past that overlaps with ours? To not see their tendencies that we know aren't sinful but drive us nuts? To not see even our own needs as to be met by them, but to see them as made in the image of God. To quote C.S. Lewis from The Weight of Glory, if we could see another human in their glorified state, we'd be tempted to worship them because they're made in the image of God. And yet we don't see them. But as we receive the gospel and learn to pray in light of the gospel, we're humbled and then we see the neighbors in our life and we love them. Without Jesus' touch, I think we use instead of love And we come by that honestly because in this world it's going to either be reciprocal or get what you can get from people. And yet the gospel calls us to love which is for the other. And the only way we can really be for the other is to see them as God sees them instead of with our own horrible filters of our past and our fear and our shame and anger. But even amidst a cursed world, here is Jesus healing this man's sight that we would understand the same healing in our own lives in a spiritual sense. So if you get nothing else out of the, out of the sermon, this is from Mark chapter 10. Jesus heals another man named Bartimaeus. And they knew his name and his father's name probably because he was worshiping with them at the time. Oftentimes we know names of some people in the the stories of Jesus and we don't know the names of others. The ones we know the names probably means he was worshiping with them. About 30 years ago, probably a group about half this size. They're like, Bartimaeus, you made it into the story. Way to go. Maybe they didn't say that. I don't know. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus... A blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. If you get nothing else out of the sermon, learn to pray the way that he prayed in crying out to Jesus. Not because God hasn't already shown you mercy in saving you and calling you to himself, but he can, his mercies are new every morning, healing us and our perception of him, and then our neighbors. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Would you pray with me? God, we are so thankful that you are a kind and a patient and a strong parent. Please help us to receive that. Have mercy on us. Jesus, we praise you for the speed at which you led your disciples to understand the size of the kingdom offer you made to them and then to us. 
Have mercy on us, Jesus, as we receive your love and your kingdom. Holy Spirit, there is so much that tempts us to follow anything but you. Comfort and assure us and guide us into lives of life that you purchased for us. Have mercy on us, Holy Spirit. Amen.